Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is your favorite and original African detector. I have to start by apologizing because I haven't been uh, up to it in terms of podcasts because there's a lot going on in the world right now. Palestine, Israel, all these world affairs that I have to deal with, even though I am leader of a micro nation, I still have to be involved. And so today I decided to take some rest. It's Sunday, the 16th of May. And uh, I am looking forward to tomorrow because in England, people are going to be able to hug and there are lots of laughter Republic citizens who will be able to hug. This is my fourth podcast where I am podcasting from Gagdad Laughter Republic. And I have to say to you, because of the problem with power supply, it is very likely that we might have some technical difficulties, but my people will make sure that we are back on air. If the internet freezes in any shape or form, it is because of the power supply. Look, with no further ado, I am here to introduce you to my next guest for episode 46, If Comedians Rule the World. He is a fantastic racist comedian, the most racist comedian on earth. I know that for a fact. Even the way he looks, you can tell. For those of you who are going to be watching this uh, on YouTube, you will agree with me. For those of you who are just going to be listening to it, I'm sure you would want to see what this guy looks like. You see, the pandemic has devastated the comedy industry. There's no two ways about it. But there are some comedians who have done pretty well as a result of it. This man called Jeff Innocent, he needs no introduction. I mean, if you are a comedy lover or a comedian and you've never heard of Jeff Innocent, then you are not, you do not understand what comedy is really about. I am here to introduce you Jeff Innocent, but before I do that, and I'm hoping that the technology works, I just want to show you this video that went viral during the pandemic. And when you see Jeff Innocent, it is obvious he doesn't even know how to use any technology. He was the last person to use Instagram, to join Instagram and was up. And actually, I remember meeting Jeff many, many, many years ago. He might not remember this. 12 years ago, before I started performing comedy, I was a civilian before I became an army officer. And I met him on Facebook. And we interacted. We used to, I never knew anything about the comedy industry. I am so excited to show you this video. I am really so excited. So please do bear with me while I show you this video. Um, I'm, I'm not actually racist, by the way. Uh, just, just look hugely fucking racist. Um, I'm not showing off, but I'm probably the most racist looking comedian on the entire comedy circuit in this price range. Whatever I wear, whatever I wear, I look racist. There's no escape for me. I could be standing here wearing a sari and a turban. I'd still look fucking racist, you know that? There's no escape, no escape. But what's funny, I always think, what's poetically ironic about me looking so fucking aggressively racist, my wife is black. We, we do that sort of thing in London. But let me just say this, not easy if you look like me having a black wife. There are certain things we can't do, sadly, because of my appearance. You know, I couldn't, for example, chase her down the street. <laughs> yeah, 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 fucking enjoy that image for a while, why don't you? Hey! <laughs> Bless her. And, and you know, it might be, oh no, she's gone to work and left her phone indoors, I better chase her. But, 
They don't see the phone, do they? Just see me. Oh. I've always had black girlfriends, just one of those sort of blokes, really. Black wives, black girlfriend, and, and from exotic places, fucking hell, you know. Ghana, Nigeria, Sierra Leone. Here's the beauty. I haven't even had to leave the East End of London. Uh, I might be the world's laziest sex tourist. Just open the curtain. Yep, fine, that'll do, yeah. That's great. Great. Uh, I've got a lot of kids as well, all brown, obviously. But, uh, yeah, more fucking brown kids, yeah. Um, and I, I live in the uh, London borough of Newham, which, uh, uh, according to a recent poll, uh, the most recent poll, was voted the 29th happiest borough to live in London that's only got 30 fucking boroughs. <laughs> <laughs> Those poor fuckers in Brent, that's who I feel sorry for. Get down there. But the London borough of Newham, first place ever in the entire history of Britain where, because of immigration, it became more black than white. Early 90s, before Brixton, before Halston, Newham was the place. I was there. Not, not, not complaining, obviously. And, well, well, no, what, what I mean is I couldn't because in many ways, with all my kids and that, I've probably contributed rather significantly <laughs> to those very statistics. But, but what it means is whenever I am in the company uh, of racist people, which happens quite a lot to me, it, it may come as no surprise to you, I, I mean, not only do they think I'm one of them, I think they think I'm their leader. <laughs> no, they, they follow me around in the street. I see him. They, I think what it is, is there's, there's so many foreign people in London, they must see me and think, oh, wow, fuck me, let's go over there and have a bit of a racist chat. You know, they must think, look at that, a proper 20th century racist bloke who's possibly been cryogenically frozen in the 20th century. <laughs> brought back to life now so that millennials can see what a proper fucking racist looks like. <laughs> but because they think I'm one of them, they're over-familiar. You get that, didn't you? When people think you're racist, over-familiar, I go, all right, Jeff, you're still living in East London? Yeah, mate, I am. What, what, what do you mean? Well, you must be the only white person in East London. I can't, mate. I'm the only white person in my fucking house. <laughs> You, you have to say, you have to agree with me that that was really fantastic. <laughs> well, Let uh, me introduce uh, you to Jeff Innocent. Thank you, thank you very much, uh, Mr. President. That was a, a fantastic uh, introduction and welcome. And funny, watching that, I haven't seen that for quite some time. And obviously I haven't performed it for, for even longer. Um, but I was looking at myself rather critically to decide whether I'm telling that joke correctly or not isn't that funny and i actually made myself laugh then because i i hadn't seen that but yes that that viral video that's in some ways been life-changing actually i have to say it how ironic that in a year that i don't perform more people get to see me do comedy than if i am performing via this this this, this video that went viral uh, it changed what it's changed my life <laughs> i've become a local celebrity president i have to tell you I, a lot of young comedians, I think part of their plan now is to have viral videos. And I understand that. It's never been part of my plan. I remember being in the dressing room and one of the younger comedians say, look, Jeff, you're, you've gone viral. You've gone viral. And I, I didn't even know what that meant. I said, what does that mean? He went, no, man, look, look. And, um, and then what happened is uh, for the entire lockdown, and even now it's still, it's still giving wherever I go almost on a daily basis, 
people would stop uh, and go, you're that guy. I walk into shops, you're that guy. Uh, where I go. So it's it's been fun. It's been fun. I'm quite proud of the piece. Often, you know, when you do TV, you look at it and you think, oh, no, I haven't really, I haven't really nailed it. But quite pleased with that piece as well. So, yeah, I've become a bit of a local celebrity uh, with it. I haven't earned any money out of it, but, you know, it's, it's been good. It's been fun. It's been fun. Okay, I, I I am really excited for you because you know, with all respect, you're a you're an older comic, like you said. I am, yeah. <laughs> Instagram <laughs> and, and Facebook, old school comic. How did sure. it actually feel when you found out that you'd gone viral? How did you how did you feel? Well, I think at first I didn't know what that meant. And okay. it was only over as it unfolded over time in my everyday life when neighbors were knocking at the door, people wanting selfies. Bakers, the butchers, the car mechanic, all that that kind of stuff. But I, I just marvelled that I've been doing comedy for 25 years and suddenly one minute and a half video has given me a wider audience than, I, than I've ever had in all those years. So what what an incredible thing the internet is for that, isn't it? Yeah. You know? Jeff, don't you think, because of the way the comedy industry is, and I know that things are picking up for, for you white civilian comedians, um, don't don't you think <laughs> don't you think because of what happened to you that there there's going to be almost like a hybrid of of comedy where there are people who would want to keep in touch with people like you on the internet and there are people who will still want to go to live comedy shows it's going to be a combination um, of both. well i think so um i think the it's only a minute and a half so people will get a little uh, fun side example a couple of jokes, but I'm hoping it will encourage people to go and watch live comedy, you know, or to come and watch me, in fact. Yes, definitely. definitely. I, I have to say to you, I am really disappointed with your bookcase. You know, well, well it, you know, I'd say what happened is um, I haven't done many Zoom gigs during the lockdown period. Uh, and if I have done, I've gone to my friend's house because I don't really have a good signal here. It's okay for one on one Zoom chat. Uh, but also I realized that uh, it means people can see inside your house. And uh, I had a bit of old fashioned stuff. I've got, I've got an interior designer in to, to, give, to give me a pretty trendy look of now. So it's all, uh, it's vinyl, which is very big. At the moment. I don't think it's books, I think it's just, it's just music that you can see behind me. Apparently look, that's what the kids go for these days, vinyl. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it 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 it, 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 so, it suits your image. I didn't want it. You have to be careful because I've seen a lot of people do, in Zoom interviews, and they rather pretentiously position themselves in front of the philosophy section of their bookshelf. But you, there is. I do want to do that. I hope that doesn't come across. I want to say to all of your followers and citizens and fans of mine, this is the music room. So wherever I go, behind me would be music. But you know what really disappoints me? It's not even the bookcase. It's the fact that you know that you are going to be with me and there is no poster of me behind. There's nothing. Well, I've got to be careful because I'm not sure who else. I mean, let, I've got to tell you, you're, I have to explain to people, I'm only doing this because you uh, have my wife and family in detention uh, for accusations of spying. So I, you said I'll get them off the hook if you come and do this interview. So... Um, I support you, President. You know that. Support you. And I'm sorry about the poster. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I, I will I, get one. And, and, and I have broken the record because normally if you had to do this, you would do this away from your home. But we yeah. make sure yeah. that you, you found a way of making well, sure the internet works. 
yeah, but you know, it's, just, it's still under house arrest. It's still house arrest, isn't it? So it's from my home. Yeah, I couldn't find a poster that did you justice, President. You know, no, no, no that is just that's why. That's that, that why. Is, we, by the end of this conversation, I will, I will mm -hmm. let my people know whether we're releasing your wife and your children or whether we're still detaining them. Sure. Uh, well, uh, also in that in that respect, um, in, in case I do have to separate from my wife, I always like to keep myself open for any future wives. So if there are any single older ladies from from your uh, country, um, let me just say that uh, I could be single soon. Um, uh, and uh, I've been to church today, uh, all day. I know that uh, older African ladies will give someone respect. Um, I'm also, I mean, when I was younger, President, and um, I was meeting uh, uh, women from from West Africa, Nigeria, Ghana, it's very easy in those days to form relationships with women. There are one or two things that would be quite allure. Um, Tupperware containers, they were very popular. Um, uh, 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 food mixers, you know those food mixers when you're making soup, and uh, pressure cookers. But I think the modern African woman wants more than that now. So uh, I'm gonna have to up my game. You know what is really, you know what is really interesting, is is the fact that you've dated a number of uh, black women from exotic places like Nigeria, yes. Uh, yes. Ghana, but you've never. Why haven't you dated someone from Latin Republic? Well, <laughs> I think most of them are married to you. That's part of the problem. <laughs> you've taken them as your wives, but. Hey, I'm sure we could work out some kind of arrangement. But that's that is the problem. I want you to help most of them that. since the election. <laughs> <laughs> since the election, <laughs> became single and I married them all. But it's good. Look, Jeff, yeah. I want to ask you a question about your comedy career. Uh, you sure. said you started 25 years ago. What made you go into comedy? Um, um, I think that I'd always wanted to do comedy from when I was young. When I was a teenager, I was in drama groups and things like that. And uh, on a couple of occasions, did some stand-up comedy in between the plays. Not my own material, just doing jokes that I'd seen. When I was very young, 16, that sort of age. And uh, then I went to work, you know, and, and forgot about that. But I've always thought of myself as someone who's funny, always enjoyed making people laugh, always used that as a way of communicating with people. And so as I got older, and, and uh, I think that I had to wait until I was older because there wasn't really a job in stand-up comedy when I was younger, you know, not with alternative comedy anyway. Um, so I think the whole business boomed when I got to a certain age, um, which was about 40, 41. So that's when I started doing comedy, um, which I don't think that would be allowed now, would it? That age, I don't think people are allowed. That's when they retire you now in comedy, <laughs> 41. You're not allowed to start at that time. And so, but I just love, love doing that. I like making people laugh and, and, you know, found a way of earning a living through doing that. So you were, you were, sorry, I, I missed that. What age, 31 or 41? 41, 41. Oh, so you, you started doing it full time at the age of 41? Yes, I did, yeah, yeah. In fact, I got, uh, for my 40th birthday, somebody bought me a comedy workshop, a course as a birthday present. So I did that. And then uh, the following year started doing open spots. And yeah, at the time though, I was quite naive. I didn't realize that was old for comedy. And in those days, President, it wasn't so much of a, a young people's thing. It's become very youth orientated with audiences as well. 
uh, and, and comedians. But, but luckily, my age is actually probably working for me now because um, I think now that I'm older, there's probably a vulnerability now. You know, I live on stage and need hearing aids. So I'm not <laughs> as edgy, maybe, and aggressive as I might have been at one time. So the older I get, I think the, the more cozy and cuddly and acceptable I've become. That's that's my theory. You know? Yeah, cuddling a racist comedian. Who wants to yeah, marry? Yeah, this? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Lots of questions for you. This is okay. Yeah, this, keep them this, coming, man. Keep yeah, them coming. lots of questions because this is the only way I am going to release your wife and children. Um, okay. <laughs> so that that, that 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 if I heard you correctly, so between the age of sixteen to forty-one, what were you then doing? Did you did you feel did you feel you were missing anything? Not performing comedy during the ages of sixty-one? Uh, well, obviously, because I wasn't hadn't really experienced being a stand-up comedian, it wasn't something I missed, but. I think like a lot of people that become comedians, there's comedy in their life at all times in, in their personality, mm. in the way they interact with people, friends, family, mm. uh, at work. And I was certainly somebody who was like that, probably to a fault, you know, driving people crazy. But stand-up comedy has always been part of English popular culture, TV, it's always been around us. So I think that's how I learned how to be a comedian more so just through um osmosis really you know mm. um but no i didn't i didn't do any you know i didn't uh, do any comedy until then you know wow. I, I didn't even really go to comedy very much but you know i i grew up knowing all the main people that were around in those days you know people like les dawson and dave allen and, and all of those people i don't know if these names mean anything to you yeah so stand-up comedy has always been part of British culture. In fact, when I've travelled the world performing stand-up comedy because there are British people all over the world, and wherever there are British people, or Australians, or Americans, there's a stand-up comedy culture. So because of expats, that, that, unfortunately, I, I haven't been to, to your uh, country to perform because I'm not sure if any of the expats are still alive. Well, it's there. not even... It's but, not even uh, being I mean, I... Jeff, it's not, even, it's not even about expats. Or in detention. <laughs> it's not even about expats. Nobody can be funnier than me. Nobody's allowed to be funnier. Of course, than me. of course, I understand that. I understand that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't suggest that I would either. So I understand. Jeff, but yes. you see, what I didn't realize until I brought you onto this podcast is that we have uh, certain similarities because I didn't start performing comedy until the age of forty-five. Wow. And I well, remember people, people saying to me then that you have you have joined comedy at the wrong age, that it's very, very difficult to be able to break sure. in. Uh, so for me, the question is, when you started at the age of what, what, what prompted you to want to do it at the age of 41? I know you. you, you well, well, actually, OK, so I left school at 16 and became a window dresser in men's fashion, Kings Road, Oxford Street. 1970s part of the 80s okay that was quite a glamorous job in those days clothes and fashion and the king's road uh, but then in the mid to late 80s i went to university because i wanted to do that so i spent five years there did one degree then did another degree and it was during that time when i was doing my second degree that stand-up comedy was becoming a booming industry and i recognized that 
I could do it now because I always had to earn a living from doing comedy because I had children, you know. I couldn't just do it. I, I thought, is this a job here? And there was. And genres had just exploded. They were everywhere, the comedy stores. So I, I became an open spot. And of course, yeah, I was older than most of the other open spots, but still as naive and unknowing, you know, still making the same mistakes. Um, and and you know and just love it so much that I've kept with it and and finally worked out how to do it after all those years because I think when you start not really you a lot of the time it's, it's how you, you think it's you and you find a way of doing it and you can earn a living doing it but if you persevere maybe you can get it to be really you and and that's when it becomes magic for you because you're, you're telling the truth you know and that, that, and how long did it take you to know that, yes, you have actually got this absolutely right? How many years did that take you? Well, I think maybe 15. Seriously? I think I'm a slow learner. Well, well, <laughs> I, well, I think I got it right to some extent, you know? And then you just keep getting it more right somehow, I think. And even now, I still think I'm still not quite doing it in the way that I want to. There's still things that I need to do or work out in order to perform stand-up comedy in the way that I really would like. Mm. So it's always work in progress, in a, in a sense. You know what's really interesting? Because I, I, I heard this story as well, that the likes of Michael McIntyre, who you know, I'm sure, mm -hmm. he had to perform for at least 15 years and even went bankrupt before he actually made it. Right. Am I not right in saying that before the pandemic, the industry, it's like, you you really have to get there very quickly they're not they can't wait for you 15 years for you to be <laughs> well i mean no i think i mean i think you can be i think lots of people are good enough to be on television or to close shows or mm. to earn a living um even though they're not as good as they might go on to be and mm. I, i'm pretty sure there's lots of comedians that that uh, find fame quite early on and then of course once you find fame as a stand-up comedian you you almost stop doing stand-up comedy and end up being on, on panel shows mm -hmm. and, and and chat shows uh, and and what it, you know travel shows so they become less a stand-up comedian so maybe they're earning lots of money they're having a great time but maybe they could have gone on to be better comedians I'm sure they're not worried by that but I'm just saying yeah, I yeah. think the fact that I haven't found fame in that way has meant that I've carried on developing my stand-up comedy yeah uh, that does that make sense Oh no, so it I makes was... it makes it makes perfect sense. And it's not okay. one that I have genuinely thought about in terms okay. of you know the panel shows. Sure. I mean, how many I mean if you look at someone like Johnny Vegas, for example, which is not an example, I mean he was a brilliant stand-up comedian, mm -hmm. but most people who know Johnny Vegas don't know that he ever did stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. They know him as someone from from sitcoms or adverts or mm -hmm. chat shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, although, yeah, so he was somebody there with a, a fantastic stand-up comedian, but mm. I reckon there are a few people out there that, that if they hadn't found fame would probably stay being a circuit comedian as I have and maybe, you know, become even better, but they probably don't care, do they? You know, <laughs> I mean, do, you, do you think if... I mean, if, you know, I'd, I think I'd rather have the money, I think, sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah. Also, I think, because look, here's another thing, how about this as a theory, that because I've never really earned big money from stand-up comedy. I've only earned a living because I'm a circuit comedian. Yeah. That difference between being, even if you're a closing act that everyone books, the difference between being that and someone who's on TV all the time financially is huge. 
And I wonder sometimes if because I always need to go to work, I'm not somebody that can stop. I've always got my foot on the gas, developing the comedy, mm. making sure gigs are good, wanting it to be good. And I wonder sometimes if comedians don't have that hunger still because they're more comfortable. It's a possible. Mm. What do you do you if 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 one day uh even if you're going deaf or you you <laughs> or you come yes, I am, yes, I am. <laughs> and, and someone says to you jeff we want you on life of the apollo or, or on a panel show mm -hmm. you you won't you won't uh, say no oh, to of them. course and i'm not against doing television i mean i have mm -hmm. done television you know the comedy store presents i've done that many times uh, mm -hmm. the stand-up show that the bbc used to have mm -hmm. um channel four when i first started uh, but i think lots of people do tv to that level when they're new tv mm -hmm. does like new people so often when people are new they get lots of tv work on stand-up shows and they think they've cracked it but they're just they're just new tv fodder that's true mm -hmm. so i had my experience of that i've done some acting i've you know i've been in tv programs and movies um, but all the while i've been sticking with my stand-up and working out how i should do it what i want to talk about you know that always been an ongoing project with me and still is. Mm. Really, you know. why, why do you think that the TV people uh, tend to go for newer acts rather than comedians who might have been going for years? Well, I think that it becomes about the relationship between agents and management and the media. So management always looking for new, fresh faces, a manager's not going to want to take on somebody that's been doing it for years. So partly it's, it's to do with that, I think, um, you know. Uh, and of course, yeah, just new faces. We've seen those ones. Let's see some more people, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. so I you know, I may do TV again, but this, this video thing, this is a different medium, which actually I think has eclipsed TV in some ways in terms of, of you being noticed. You know that, that this, this very video, a minute and a half long. I, I would probably need to be on EastEnders for a year to get that <laughs> kind of response. Who knows? Maybe kind of you, there's you, something different about it being short, because uh, it was beautifully edited by 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 Simon Mason at the Comedy Store, and it has to be short. Uh, but um, and and also it's in people's houses. It's on their phones. There's a different relationship, isn't it? In the way that they're they're, they're looking at it and taking it on. Mm. Uh, they're they're checking. They're showing it to people at work, and, and that's how the those short videos work and become become mm. viral. So maybe it doesn't matter now. I mean, I, I don't I don't earn any money from the viral video. I mean, I <laughs> more money. But, um, yeah, you should you should you should find as you say you're 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 a local uh, celebrity. Uh, how many? I know you've only got one wife. How many children have you got? Um, well, I don't. <laughs> I've got <laughs> oh no, um, uh, four, four. Oh, yeah. th those are the ones that you know. Yeah, no, 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 no I'm not getting into this because <laughs> I've in the past I have talked openly about this topic, and it has created a problem for me afterwards. No, 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 that that is uh, fine. Don't worry, that that uh, is fine. Yeah. It's it's just, it's so, just a, um, yeah, 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 um, yeah. Four, four. Okay, four. so do do they do they all find you funny? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, the main, my main, when I say my main child, the one that lives at home, who's 16, he used to, I used to take him 
to one or two places. If I was staying over, he'd come down with my wife and I'd put him in the corner. And he became a big fan of stand-up comedy, but I don't think he's that impressed with my stand-up comedy. He was a big Russell Howard fan when he was about 14. Then he moved on to moved on to Bobby Mayer. You know, so he's quite a sophisticated uh, purveyor of stand-up comedy, but I don't think he's that impressed. Also, with me, I still like to do dad jokes with him. You know? <laughs> so he's not getting my best work on purpose. But there's something great about doing dad jokes and watching your kids go, oh, that's terrible. Mm. Especially if you're a professional comedian. Mm. I don't think people realize professional comedians like to do bad jokes as well when they're at home. You know, we don't all print sort of great material at the time. Um, in fact, here's the latest one was uh, <laughs> I'm laughing. So I'm just going to let people know it's not always that high standard. I came in and said to my son, I've just walked past the church, yeah? And there were a lot of birds in the car park. You know what they were, didn't you? Birds of prey. And, you know, I think he was going to call child line. But at home, that's the sort of thing that makes me laugh. Yeah. Certainly, certainly, uh, you have been one of my funniest guests in terms of the conversations we've been having on the phone. To oh, okay. So who are you normally talking to then? <laughs> I can't believe that. Yes, yes. No, it was, okay. it, 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 it's been fun. Jeff, so... If you so you you know you were you were uh, you were very very busy just before uh, March 2020 when the pandemic yeah uh, well in fact I was in South Africa okay in the Cape Town Comedy Festival but yeah. then came how back to nothing you, how have you coped since over well, the last well, year well not very well with the first half the first I think there's there's I see it in, in three sections I think the first section was not good for me didn't handle that very well um you know uh because i didn't think comedy was coming back i don't know i've got it into my head that that was the end and i wouldn't be doing that anymore and i'm sure like a lot of people suddenly have the thing that you love doing so much it's not there anymore that was that was very difficult uh, but then there were some outdoor gigs weren't there there was a little a little ray of sunshine and i just seized on that and that helped. I think the 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 viral videos helped me all the way through, you know, because I thought, well, I'm still sort of doing it, but not doing it, you know. Did you did Remotely. you do any driving gigs? Pardon? Did you do any driving gigs? Driving gigs? No, I didn't do any of those at all. I didn't like the look of those. I didn't really enjoy doing the Zoom gigs. Actually, I did. I didn't really do many. I found it very it wasn't very satisfying. I, I didn't enjoy it very much, uh, and no disrespect to any of the people that saw me on Zoom. I think audiences still liked it, but I found it uh, very unrewarding. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I enjoyed any of those. I, oh, I did quite a few. I, okay. At times, I arranged some with my okay. fans uh, and citizens. I love the fact that I can imagine that they may be half naked watching me, and they imagine well, yeah, that I'm half probably naked. Probably are. Also, <laughs> I imagine in your position where, where you are, you are making them watch it in the sense yes, that yes, it's definitely. going through on their on their screens and they have no choice. De definitely. You know? But I, I I I hear you, but uh, it's propaganda video. But, but yeah, think, very, hard, very hard. Yeah, I think I think what I admire is the is how the tenacity and how people have really been able to adapt to change. Because mm -hmm. one year of no live comedy. As a comic, you want to find a way of interacting with your fans or new audiences. Sure. And sure. Zoom gave people that opportunity. And uh, that's true. 
and there's some they comedy do. promoters who actually got the technology absolutely right. Yes, they did. That you could, that you yes, could actually they did. enjoy. Some of them were quite advanced and and uh, leaders in that field, weren't they? One or two people, they got it right straight away. Um, I think it's here to stay, the Zoom thing. In in some ways, there will be people. I got cut off from the Zoom gig actually. Um, it was a private gig, and um, I was in the person's house, and it was his, his brother had organised the gig for his work friends, the, the office, and he was the office manager. And as I was talking, they cut me off because they thought that my subject matter might be um, inappropriate for his staff. He took the decision. I know, I know. It's Are you part serious? of that new sensitivity that, that, that's around at the moment, uh, part of, you know, the, the, the cancel culture and the sensitivity around, because there are key words, and sometimes people don't hear what you're saying. And, uh, and like with that video, for example, I, I'm probably, I reckon that some of the people that really like that video liked it for different reasons. I think, you know, I think some people that were racist thought, hey, wow, we've got this racist guy, isn't he funny? <laughs> and uh, I've interpreted it in a way that, 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 that they've seen it. I'm sure that's happened. I'm sure that's what, because I think what made it go viral is the subject matter and the timing. It hit a nerve at the time. If you remember, the Black Lives Matter stuff was going on. Yeah. People were confused. They weren't sure what they thought. There was all the talk about this idea of uh, uh, white privilege that people didn't understand. Mm. So I think that video calmed people down. Yeah. Uh, not intentionally. I don't think I could have ever second guessed that. It just happened to be subject matter. What's the word? Zeitgeist, I think. And I, I think that's what happened. So I, I guarantee some of those million people or however many people watched it would be people that thought, I love this guy, he's racist, and uh, we love this racist stuff. I'm sure like <laughs> Alf Garnet, the character Alf Garnet. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Johnny I, I know Alf Garnet. I know yeah. Alf Garnet. You see, so, I like that. You know, it's funny. It was, what's really interesting is before I came on for the podcast, I had a visitor. So I was playing your video. Mm -hmm. And he happens to be a very church religious man, mm -hmm. uh, very close to the pastor. And when he saw it and heard what you were saying, he said, he can't say that. I said, no, it's comedy. It's just jokes. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, stand-up comedy is, is still a medium, isn't it, to say stuff? Increasingly so. Mm. The people all over the world are using stand-up comedy as a medium to, mm. to make their point. Mm. Um, and to communicate a bit like hip hop in that respect, mm. you know. Uh, um, but I think that maybe it's. Uh, but I'm careful anyway. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm. You know, I, I realize how things may come across. So I think very, very uh, hard about the words I use and the point I'm making, and you know, so that. But it can still get uh, misinterpreted, and often with stand-up comedy, as you know, people in the audience, they only have to look away for a few seconds they'll miss part of the joke and then get this part you know um and they think oh well, that's racist <laughs> you know okay so I'm, I'm going to ask you about the cancel culture and okay. and, and 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 this uh, for, you know I, I don't support freedom of speech anyway so. of course of course <laughs> but you know i having spent some time in england i know there is this cancel culture and the view that you can't just go on stage and say anything just to be funny what what is sure. what is your view on that? What is? Um, I think it's um, uh, I, I think it's uh, to do with social media, and I think it's an age-related culture of response. 
you know. So I don't think, you know, there, there are lots of clubs I go to where the audience are much older, much more clued up, and, um, you know, they, they wouldn't be buying into that kind of attitude. But at the same time, you know, fair enough to to be up on stuff and to 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 be active politically, you know. Although I did get attacked as well. I, I mean, you see, this is where it goes wrong. I got attacked uh, and accused of being racist when obviously the, these members of the audience didn't, couldn't really see what I was talking about. They were very drunk and very young, um, and uh, they they yeah they they accused me of being racist. The audience turned on them. They got up and left, and then I carried on. But then suddenly they were on the stage. One was trying to get the mic. One was trying to grab me, and they were being dragged off the stage by the staff. It became a big, a big incident, you know. Uh, but part of that that sensitivity, that cancel culture, where people we are dealing with people that not quite understand what we're talking about a lot of the time, or don't see the nuance, mm. um, just hear key words. Often key words can be a thing. Mm. I often have to change words because they mm. they can create a response in the audience that you don't want there's no there's no good just going well that's the way i want to do it you have to find a way mm. of getting your ideas across okay. in there. so you you've been doing comedy now for the don't past forget, don't forget i come from i started in the alternative world you know i started in the post mainstream world where it's all about being anti-racist anti-sexist mm. you know anti-homophobia anyway mm. so in some senses cancel culture is just uh, um, uh, a sort of social media name for something that we've been doing anyway. Yeah, yeah. You've been, you, you, you've had 25 years of experience in the comedy industry. Has comedy, the industry, changed for the better or is it worse? Comedy in general? Um, I think it's got better. Um, I think that comedy gigs are better. I seldom now go off to do a gig and come across an audience that I think are hostile or drunk or heckly or difficult. It hardly ever happens now. Whereas that used to be every gig you'd go to expect that kind of culture. So I think it's got better. I think audiences are better. And there are more different types of gigs. Yeah, I think it's great. You know, I do. Am I right in saying my, 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 CIA Comedy Intelligence Agency. They told me that you have a, you've studied comedy courses, haven't you? Well, not studied comedy courses. I mean, I think what happened is um, I became, for the let's say for the first ten years, I just did comedy because I could do it. I didn't think about it too much. Had some good material, was earning a living, having fun, and then I began to think more about what I was doing and about comedy in general. And then part of that was to run comedy workshops for, for people that wanted to be comedians. And I did a workshop myself uh, with Tony Allen. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Tony Allen. I know, I know Tony Allen. I know. Architects of, of alternative comedy. He's quite a character. And he has very strong views about comedy as art. And I agree with most of his views, but it's about adapting that to entertainment, trying to somehow meet you in the middle with its little entertainment, which is entertaining people. So um, so I tried to carry on some of those traditions in my teaching to get people on the right foot because I made lots of mistakes 
I cringe sometimes at some of the stuff I used to do, some of the jokes, some of the material. I'm sure we all do when we look back. So I figured that I could um, help new people to not make those mistakes from the very beginning. I think the key thing, actually, President, is thinking about your career, you know, thinking about what you're doing, knowing what you're doing. Whereas I didn't do that for years, I just did it somehow, instinctively, because I was a bit of a funny guy. Um, but then I thought more, analysed it, and uh, I think I'd get more out of it. I'm a much better comedian, and I urge people to think about their comedy more. Have, a, have an agenda almost, you know. What is your view? Naturally funny comedians? Can comedy, can comedy be thought? Can you be thought to be funny? I think you can, uh, yeah, you can teach people to be funnier than they are. I'm not saying you can teach people to be funny who could never be funny. And in truth, sometimes on the workshops, there are one or two people that you know would never be comedians, but they might be good enough. There's a, you know, one thing that has changed when I started, I was an open spot and there weren't really open spot clubs. You know, there were open spot parts of the evening or you'd go to a club and be the only open spot. So your plan, it, it was to not be an open spot and get become a paid comedian. Uh, whereas now you can stay being an open spot and doing it as a hobby, can't you? There are, there are clubs that cater for people at all different levels of, of ability and, and interest and dedication. So lots of people can operate on that hobby level if they want, you know. Mm -hmm. A personal question. Oh dear. Not about wives, please. Yes, about wives. <laughs> what about churches? You know, I tell you, you know, I wanted to tell you, I've worked something out and I, I think, um, I don't go to church actually, um, 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 but I've noticed that African churches thrive. They're thriving and building and developing, whereas mm. English churches are closing down. Yes. And I think it's to do with practicality because it seems to me that an African church can be anywhere. It can be, you know, in an old snooker pool, a disused warehouse, the local leisure center. Whereas, whereas uh, an English church, it takes a hundred years to build, you know, they're, they're chopping down forests to make the wooden pews. They're they're smelting metal to make all the all the stuff, you know, the crosses and stuff. And uh, it's uh, the stone masonry is involved. Whole generations of people hand their skills down in order to get this church built. It takes a hundred years. Whereas, whereas an African church, all you have to do really is, is just go down to being to you, get some white plastic garden furniture, stick it in an empty hall, and that's sanctified. So that's. <laughs> That's why I think African people, they don't muck about. They want a church. We're going to have it there. And I like that. Yeah, that, that is a good point. But I will tell you why I think African churches are really getting more successful. Okay. I've been to some English churches. I, if, whenever I arrive at an English church, I feel like I'm going to sleep within five minutes. There's, it's yeah. dead. It's, it's boring, it's, isn't it? It's yeah. literally dead. Sure. There's vibrancy. It's like they're waiting for sure. them to die. Now, I, 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 there I, is I, a vibrancy. There's obviously, a, there is a, you know, you are right about English churches. They can be boring. Um, uh, I don't want to get into denominations because I could get into trouble. You know what people <laughs> like? But at the same time, you know, African churches are vibrant, but 
they don't always choose the best singers to sing the songs in the church, do they? Let's be honest. You know? <laughs> and whoever's on the drums sometimes may not even have to have any drumming background. Well, I'm just I'm just hoping that your wife that I'm detaining is doesn't go to church. I hope you're not uh, in my church. Uh, well, uh, I think she's from a Catholic background, which is a whole different thing, and I don't want to get involved in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I'm not different. taking those people on. <laughs> yeah, but the African churches that I believe you're referring to are the Pentecostal churches. Yeah. The music, the I think the the, mu the music has got music yeah, all day, all the, day. No, Food. colorful, you know, yeah. vibrant. The energy, sure. you know, the energy yeah. is like you know, it's like when you're watching a comic on stage. There are some comics who just have that energy on stage. Yeah. You know, and the sure. connection that they have with their engaging with their audience, just sure. really, really fantastic. Sure. I, I was going to ask you another personal question, but you, you might not want to answer, but I will okay. you have no choice, but I will ask you that. Have you <laughs> always dated black women? You never dated white women? Uh, uh, not always. I mean, when I was younger, um, um, I, I, um, I used to uh, date Jewish women. Of <laughs> course. I think I've always been attracted to the other, you know, to foreigners. I don't know, I don't know uh, what sparked that off. What is that in my psychology? But this is what happens, though. If you do that, and I'm sure this happens to everybody, if you have one or two partners that come from a, a different culture, their culture then becomes a part of your culture. So it's very difficult then to to then go and date somebody that that's nothing to do with that and has no familiarity with that so certain things become part of my life you know food for example yeah you know um you can't then go and ask an english woman to make jollof rice or moi moi, <laughs> you can't. and once you're used to that you think whoa i think i like this kind of stuff so that's also part of it music lifestyle uh, ironically as well not ironically just pertinently as we did talking i don't come from a, a christian background at all so that's probably the you know, the big difference where no conflict because where where you know most african people you know are are religious uh, and christians and i just think wow how funny that this is the thing that we've stopped doing and people are coming into this country and mm. and doing it that's always funny to me mm. yeah. now it's it's really it's really interesting so you know you know that favorite joke once you go black you never go back you know that's sure. that's sure. i've heard of that yeah <laughs> well, I think it's a bit more specific than that, President. It's not just black; it's it's African, you know, and uh, West African. And I mean, my my wife is from Sierra Leone. Oh, nice! And uh, and of course, you know, her family's from Sierra Leone. And over the years, you become accustomed to to certain things. But what what's really funny? What's very funny? And I don't know if she can hear me, so I might be whispering. No, this is no. She's in, she's intended uh, by my people. She comes from. She's Creole from Sierra Leone. Okay? Yeah. So she's middle class, educated. Mm. Her father's a diplomat, or was a diplomat when he was alive. You know, she had a driver. She had servants at home. That kind of background. She, I'm some some white working class bloke who comes from a bit of a criminal background in the East End, and so. So it's funny because I think people in a racist way assume that our differences would be I come from the West and I'm more sophisticated, whereas it's the other way around, you know. Uh, she's the person that, that comes from an educated middle class background. She has a very English accent, she can speak her own languages as well. 
And but I come from uh, my multiculturalism is actually more Jamaican in growing up. Um, so we have situations where people she gets she had dreadlocks as well, by the way, more like a funky dread, you know, like um, soul to soul, mm -hmm. that sort of style. Mm -hmm. And she gets howled or approached by, say, Jamaican Dorastaferians in the street, but she can't speak, she can't, whereas I can. <laughs> so I have to interpret, I go, no, no, what? So I, I, sometimes we've had little lessons, we go, right, if you get approached, you have to do this, you have to say that. And I think that's hilarious, you know, because that's how culture works, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm the person that would go and make a sandwich and not even have a plate or something, you know, mm. where she would just, she's proper and has the net. Uh, so I think she probably sees me as some sort of poor white trash person that she saved. Okay. I've heard stories about uh, people who date outside their race. Lots of challenges, you know, by acceptance by the society, acceptance mm -hmm. by the families. It, it, did you face any challenges? Wives? Well, not really. I mean, when I was younger, you know, I mean, I when I was uh, in my uh, mid twenties, my uh, wife at that time was Nigerian, and uh, she was uh, Yoruba, and uh, so that was my the first sort of relationship I had that was uh, African, if you like, and not Caribbean. You know? mm. um, uh, and the I don't think it's about race; uh, it's culture that there's a difference. Really, I think that could be there could be cultural differences. But those things really religion is is could be the main problem but usually the generation of women that i've met or known who come from an african background have are not religious like their their parents you know they've moved away from that generally speaking um so you know maybe pepper soup is probably the biggest hurdle i've had to get over as an englishman <laughs> when you when you eat it for the first time and you can't believe, you know, and you can't even think your eyes are running and you're crying and your nose is running, but you still have to, you still have to tough it out. But here's something I noticed, and I don't know if people still do this, um, is that uh, when I, one of the things that used to happen to me is when I was presented with food, because I was English, they put a knife and fork next to the food. And I figured that was some sort of test. You know? <laughs> So I thought, if I use this knife and fork, I'm going to fail the test. I know that. Yeah. That was an interesting little thing. That was an interesting. You, you you remind me of my student days in England, and I had this friend, this Englishman, who came to my house, and I cooked him some pounded yam and mm -hmm. uh, a goosey soup with some meat, mm -hmm. and he tasted it, and within a few minutes, he just went straight to sleep. He just <laughs> knocked him out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And then he woke up and said, what did you feed me? What did you Yeah, that's so funny. That's the pounded yam. So that's heavy, the pounded once yam, it's settled, once it's, You know what my wife did to me? Check this out. She really conned me when we first met. She, because uh, she, I love uh, ground rice, okay? Love ground rice. And uh, she said to me, in my country, the men stir the ground rice. So she had me there for years and hours, you know? Just, just breaking my arm, stirring the ground rice to get it right. And then I found out from her aunt that there's no such tradition in her family. <laughs> she just gave me the labor work, you know. Class. So it was a class difference where she sees me as just some sort of servant. But Jeff, you passed the test. You passed yeah. the test. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, Jeff, it's been a pleasure. You know, I, I, I have a, 
a criteria that if I am not enjoying the podcast, I need uh -huh. to usually stop within 30 minutes. 25 Oh, really? Oh, okay. How long has this been going on then? We, we, we have been going on for well over, it's almost an hour. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't feel that I've contributed very much. You know that? I'm, I don't, I mean, I'm, hopefully in the edit, you will make you look good. Can I just say, <laughs> my, dog, my dog's talking to me because he doesn't realize, he's sitting next to me, my dog. Oh, and no, he no, doesn't you, you... realize, hold on. Okay, okay. He doesn't realize I'm talking to somebody else. They can't work that out. So I'm next to him talking. He thinks I'm talking to him. No, 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 you, this, this is a bit, this has been about you and it's been, it's been a comedy education. So I don't know why. Oh, I hope, I hope, I hope so. I hope it's entertaining and informative. Uh, no, no, it's been, it's people of your country. No, it's, it's, co it's covered so many things. Uh, okay. the comedy, uh, how your comedy okay. started, your attraction to black women. No, black no, you. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to, I know that you're going to get me into trouble with this one. I'm going to keep this one hidden, you know that? <laughs> there is you, look, you know you know what's really interesting because you keep asking me whether there's going to be some editing you know i don't believe you 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 westerners you always like freedom of speech don't you oh yes <laughs> editing <laughs> is freedom of speech okay <laughs> it's it's so you think you're gonna be able to just run this through without editing is that what you're saying you think you're yeah i will i will just send it to my people and say look let's just publish this including uh, yeah, i'm happy with that and, okay. including where you know because this is this it's not your fault that your your internet froze. This was more power supply. Oh, there was that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think. Yeah, but it's it's all. That's good. your secret service playing with secret my service. signal. Yeah. So, I I I don't know about you, but I have thoroughly enjoyed myself. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, it's, and a privilege. It's, and a privilege. It's it's no look, Jeff. I don't think you realize how much I respect and admire. Uh, my admire you as a comic but obviously getting to thank spend you. time with you has been an education for me oh, thank you very much i tell you thank i tell you, you one thing because you know i have been performing uh, in the uk over the last 11 years what resonates with me is what you said about thinking about your comedy and it sure. was only when i uh, stopped uh, during the pandemic because there was no gigs that I started thinking about my comedy. I started thinking about where am I going with this? And sure. what I'm actually saying on stage. And it's just it one, makes a difference. It Sorry, makes my dog's attacking me. Yeah, it makes it makes a difference because <laughs> all that. Sorry, that's a really important point. Let me put this. My dog's attacking me while you while you're saying something. <laughs> Say hello to the president. Hello. Say hello. What's hello. your dog's name? The president's there. Yeah. Hello, dog. <laughs> um no let me put my my ear plugs back in because yeah. i can't see you right um you want me to repeat what i said uh, yeah 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 because i think that was a good point Please so what i was saying is that that as one of the things that resonates with me is about you thinking about your comedy sure. thinking about what you're sure. saying on stage and and what is it exactly you're doing in terms of your comedy and i know uh before the pandemic i was just busy jeff i was always constantly busy over the weekend not there was no time to strategize mm. or to think about my comedy sure but then the opportunity arose during the pandemic i had some time to actually reflect because there were no gigs and i'm just sure. thinking okay reflecting on the act reflecting on the jokes yes yes, the yes. Jokes, i just thought damn how could yes. i have said that <laughs> yes exactly i think we will go through those developments yeah so I, I, I Whatever it is, it's still good for that. I, I, and this is what is really interesting for me. And I'm not, you know, I might be deluded, you know, as a, as a dictator. But 
while some people are worried about the fact that they haven't gigged for well over six months or seven months and they might be rusty, mm-hmm. I actually needed that break. I genuinely think I am yeah. act by just having well, that one year off. Yeah, I think it's true. I, I worried mostly because I'm very big on momentum. I always think that you carry your development with you with every gig. You're mm. thinking about it, trying to develop, trying to progress, trying to develop your material, new material, trying to develop the way you deliver your material. Mm. Um, and uh, all of those things all the time I'm thinking. And I think that they come with momentum. So I was horrified about there being no momentum, no gigs. But when I did go back, after a couple of gigs, I thought, actually, that break has been a good thing. I, I feel clearer now. I feel slightly different about the whole thing. More relaxed, as you say. So I'm hoping that that, that will come with the when we start back next week. Mm. And, and uh, yeah, it's good. So think about your comedy all the time. What's yeah. your what's your agenda? You know, yeah. what, why, why are you there? Okay. okay you're there. What, what, why are you saying that? And what, what's what's your best advice for newer comics? Because I, I, in a way, I feel very sorry for them because I, I genuinely believe that uh, the, the, the newer comics, especially those who started during the pandemic, haven't really mm-hmm. had the opportunity uh, um, for life uh, uh, and, and, yeah. and, and perform the material they've been doing on Zoom. And they're going to be, they're going to be horrified by their first live gig, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's if they get a live gig, because it seems to me they're going to prioritize established acts that they know are guaranteed for a while. Yes, because of smaller audiences and smaller mm. bills. Mm. So hopefully, as I said, some of these other clubs that are not necessarily professional will give new people a chance to to develop their, their comedy. Mm. But I couldn't give anyone career advice, but um, I could give them, a, you know, one thing I, I'm, I've developed that I'm very big on, but sometimes I forget. You know, I often think about there's a big difference between comedy and acting. You know, we're not actors, but at the same time, we often go out with a script in our head and how can we not just be actors delivering our script and i think the key is to be in the moment for all time uh, and that means when you go with your your script move it around you know add things take things away always be in that moment rather than just delivering a script and i think that's something i have to remind myself of sometimes to be in the moment you know this is a different gig with a different audience, you might have the same body of material, but you might pitch it slightly differently. You might prioritize a routine over another one. You might start with something different. So all the time, be in the moment constantly would be my main advice. And it's something I have to, I write that at the top of a piece of paper before I go out to stop me from just going out and delivering a script. You know? So that's my, my big advice. Obviously, Obviously, acts that improvise all the time are in the moment, and they live and die by being in the moment. But, um, but we can't all do that. We're not all improvisational comics. But there can be moments. Mm-hmm. So have an agenda. Think about your comedy. And when you perform, be in the moment. Know exactly where you are while you're doing that. Is that simple advice, do you think? Would that help? That, that, that helps. Right? That, that helps civilian comedians. It doesn't help a military dictator. But it helps. <laughs> well, <yeah>. okay. <laughs> I can't help you there, I'm afraid. <laughs> so, uh, Jeff, I I, 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 I won't delay you any further. An hour away from your family and children is a long time. Oh, that's why I've come here to get away from them. <laughs> yeah. So, 
while they're still with me. Well, uh, I, I, I have some good news for you. You have really entertained me. You, uh, you have addressed a number of issues that, that, that I also wanted to find out about uh, comedy, you know, because I genuinely haven't regarded myself as a comedian, just a president. And all these people just start. I, I remember you, one of the things I didn't say to my viewers and audiences is that I, it's not uh, every time I spend, uh, spend this, I'm on stage with uh, Jeff Innocent. You know, it's almost like once a year I get to meet him. Yes, sure. I haven't worked with you very often, have I? But you're, I mean, you're, you're very good yourself as well. You know, the last time I saw you, you were amazing. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, comedy, comedy is hard. Comedy is competitive. Yeah, yeah it is sometimes. Isn't it? yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get right. It's harder, it's it's harder than running the country, I must tell you. Very, very hard. Yeah, yeah. But uh, thank you for your compliment. So, folks, I'm going to release thank Jeff. And I'm going to say to Jeff that I'm going to raise his wife and his children. Uh, Thank you. But, but what we are going to do, this is the deal. The deal is this, that I release his wife and children. Two things will happen. Number one, he will come and entertain us in Laughter Republic one day. He will have okay. to travel to Laughter Republic, come to our city called Gagdad. I want Jeff in Gagdad. We will okay. go for Jeff at Gagdad. I would and love to do that. I would love to do two, that. I hope Thank that uh, once the lockdown is uh, over, that we get to meet, because I've really enjoyed talking to you, Jeff. So maybe we can meet for a bottle of Nigerian Guinness and jollof rice. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Just, and just have a chat and not talk some about palm comedy. Wine. We'll have some palm, palm wine. Let's just, and, let's just go to an African yeah. restaurant. Yeah? Yes, yes. I think, uh, that would be, yes. I think that would be a good comedy sketch. I, I'm dressed up in uniform. You yeah, look yeah. like a racist. We're going to the Nigerian yeah. restaurant together. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is one near me. We could try it, actually. That would be funny. That would be funny. Hey, God bless you, man. Thank Thanks you so much. Me. Thank yeah, you very much. You. Folks, this is the end of our podcast. I hope you have enjoyed uh, what has been a fascinating story. Look, uh, one of the things I have enjoyed performing in the comedy industry is the number of people I have met. And there's still a long list of people. I just detain their family and I get them to my interview. So Jeff, you have a wonderful Sunday and stay away from hugging people from tomorrow. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>